Hi, everyone. I'm Aaliyah Kemet, and welcome to Phenomenal Grit, career conversations for women of color. It's time to get intentional about why you are here. This podcast is all about winning, winning at work, winning in your career, and finding happiness and joy in the process. Each episode, I'll either be talking to an amazing and inspiring guest or sharing stories and lessons from my own personal career journey. It's time to invest in you with you. Let's get into it. When we talk about showing up in the room, making an impact, and having phenomenal grit, that can play out in many different ways. Through her own personal story of grit and grace, my guest today, Wendy Jung, Vice President of Insights and Creative Strategy for We Communications, has demonstrated just that. Bringing together data-driven strategy and breakthrough creative, Wendy has 20 years of experience ideating and implementing strategic integrated PR and marketing communications initiatives. In today's episode, Wendy shares how her culture and introverted nature were sometimes misunderstood in the workplace and how she increased her visibility and excelled in her career. We're talking about how one goes from being typecast as the hidden gem to she who shows up unapologetically with what I'm calling quiet swag. Enjoy the conversation. So, Wendy, thank you for having a conversation. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. I saw on LinkedIn that you were in a new role, which was so interesting to me. So can you tell me about your new role and how you're liking it or what you're doing? Sure. I mean, I was at my last job for about almost 14 years. So definitely is a new chapter. Yeah, I just started a new role about six weeks ago at um, one of the largest uh, independent communications and integrated marketing agencies. And I am a VP of Insights and Creative Strategy, which basically means that I help create um, PR and communications campaigns for brands. And I work across um, our whole consumer sector. So that includes brands like McDonald's and uh, Microsoft. Really great. I I love that you are in PR and that you're doing creative in PR Mm -hmm. because usually we talked about this. You don't find a lot of people with the title creative in PR, but I do think that's changing now that some of the lines are are blending when you think about what is brand engagement. And oftentimes it is about that engagement and that creative side. So can you talk to me a little bit about what your career trajectory looks like that got you to to this type of role? Sure. I mean, I would say that I had a very non-traditional trajectory. Out of college, I um, started at a small PR agency in New York, working on the account side on a bunch of different consumer brands, everything from toys to fitness products to food and retail. But backing up a little bit, I was actually not supposed to go into PR. Um, I was actually a science major, a bio major. I was pre-med throughout my entire college life. And then finally, senior year, I decided it wasn't for me. Wait, all the way... You went all the way to senior year and then decided, I don't think I want to be a doctor. Uh, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And there that your family loved it. (laughs) Well, surprisingly, (laughs) my family was pretty supportive. Mm -hmm. So thank goodness for that. I wasn't getting pressure from them. But I think the, the consequence of that is that 
all I had taken in terms of classes up to that point were for my pre-med requirements, right? So everything was science and math and all that stuff. And so once I graduated, I really had no idea what to do or what was out there even. And so I just sort of said to myself, like, I'm going to start looking for something that just sounds like fun. And so randomly I was like, oh, you know, PR, I mean, um, advertising and marketing sounds Mm -hmm. fun. So let me look into that. And keep in mind, again, I had no idea what that even meant. I'd never (laughs) taken a class, anything. But at my second interview, I interviewed at a PR agency, the one that I just mentioned before. And they told me that one of their clients was Hasbro Toys, who makes like G.I. Joe and Transformers and Star Wars and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, you can't get much more fun than toys. So I'm in. (laughs) And so here I am now, years later. Wow. So when you interviewed there, did you get that job then? Yep. Okay. It was my second interview. It was my second interview and I got the job. And so that started me down my path in PR. Wow. And what do you like about PR? I think for me, it's different from my natural inclination. Like I said, I've been in the sciences. I'm very analytical. So it really challenges a different side of my brain. Okay. That makes sense. One of the things you told me about you, which I thought was really interesting, was that you didn't realize that you were creative and that you saw it as problem solving, which is essentially creativity. So can you talk to me a little bit about how you realized just how creative you were? Yeah. So I spent most of my career on the account side of PR and was doing a sort of strategy and creative as a part of my job. But the real shift for me to really focus on that came after really being championed by somebody else. It was our chief creative officer who happens to be a woman. And she was the first one to ever tell me that I was creative. Growing up, I never thought of myself as creative because in my mind, creativity was like, you are a great artist or you Mm -hmm. are a great inventor and can come up with, you know, these huge ideas ideas. And so I never thought of myself as creative, but she, I would get invited to things like brainstorms and stuff and I would Mm -hmm. contribute ideas. You were invited as the account lead. Right. Or or we would just, we would just invite like a lot of people across the Mm -hmm. agency just to get like different like minds and stuff in brainstorms. And she came up to me and she said, I think you're really creative. I think you're one of the most creative people in this office. And I was dumbfounded because I'd never (laughs) heard that before. And it, like you said, years later, I came to realize that what others describe as creativity was what I Mm -hmm. thought was like problem solving, right? Mm -hmm. How do we get to the solution for a problem and not really connecting that with creativity? And so once I understood that, it really opened up new opportunities and possibilities for what I could be doing. Mm -hmm. And I think especially in business, right? Because in business, you know, I mean, there are artists, right? And there are very artistic people who do a beautiful job and are extremely creative. But sometimes what you're doing is you're solving a business problem using creativity. Right. And that looks a little bit different. I could see how your analytical skill would really be supportive of the needs of the business in that way. Right. So that's really cool. I want to kind of go back a little bit and talk about young Wendy and your family. So how would you describe how you see yourself as a woman of color? And if there are any labels that you choose, what would those be? Yeah, I mean, 
my family is originally from China and they moved to Taiwan before I was even born. So I myself was born in Taiwan before my parents moved us to the States when I was eight, mostly for my sister and my education. And even though I consider myself basically having grown up here, I think my mm -hmm. culture and my ethnicity obviously make up a big part of who I am as a person. So, of course, that shows up in my career, too. A lot of the you know values and lessons taught to me as a child come into play a lot of times yeah. unconsciously. That happens in a work setting, too. So, for example, as part of my Chinese culture, I was taught a lot about like things like courtesy and modesty and respecting and deferring to elders. And so, especially earlier on in my career, I would be, you know, very quiet in a meeting, not mm -hmm. speak up about my opinions if there was like a more senior person in the room because yeah, hierarchy. I hierarchy. Right. I wasn't supposed <laughs> to, right? Right. Or I would be very self-deprecating and like mm -hmm. hesitant to like take credit or having trouble taking praise. But so it's been helpful, but also I think some of those things were hindering to my career in some ways, too, because mm -hmm. they were un misunderstood by other people. That's right. And when you showed up and you're trying to increase your visibility, but then also sometimes people who are introverts also tend to be quieter, have a quieter presence. But all us extroverts are talking so much they don't get it in. And so then you're both. You're showing up. You have a, this culture that um, appreciates Things that may not necessarily be appreciated in the business sense in America. And then you're also quite introverted. But I think you have done this amazing job of creating space for yourself and becoming really visible, which has allowed you to grow your career. And, and that is just something that's fantastic. Have you reflected on that, first of all? And in reflecting on that, what are some of the things you think helped you do that? Well, I mean, I think... It's an ongoing thing for me, right? Because okay. I don't know if you can tell, like I, like you said, I, I have the double whammy, right? I have, right. The, <laughs> I'm introverted and I have this cultural thing that makes me tend to be quieter and tend to be more sort of introspective. And throughout my career, I think I've been penalized in some ways for not being the norm in the industry where I'm an introvert in an industry that rewards extroversion, right? This I know, is, public relations. Right. People used to say to me all the time, like, oh, you're in public relations. You must really like talking to people. And I'm like, yes, but like in my own way, right? right? And I've been described at work and reviews and stuff as, quote unquote, like a hidden gem or a quiet yeah. storm, meaning I'm good at my job, but people don't know about it. Mm -hmm. And that has been a problem, right? Mm -hmm. And so... Like you said, some of it is based on my individual personality, but also I do attribute some of it to my cultural background, too. In meetings, I may not be the first person to speak or be the loudest. And I've had to, I think, counteract that by looking for ways to increase visibility in ways that are more comfortable to me. Right. So 
a lot of times I'll walk out of a meeting and I'm like kicking myself. Oh, I don't feel like I spoke up enough during the meeting. Did I contribute enough? And I'll send an email afterwards with some really thoughtful things and ideas and suggestions right afterwards so that I'm still contributing even if it's not in that specific setting. And, and I will say I, I've also had to push myself to act more in- extroverted too sometimes, even if I'm not feeling it that way. And so sometimes I have to turn it on. It's a bit of a balance. But I think that's a really good tip. That's a really good thing to do because I, actually everybody does that. Maybe, well, there are those who are just constantly blurting out things in meetings and we're all like, why are they still talking? But we can't just let every idea that pops in our minds come out. And I get it. It's a meeting. But I think that there's something really valuable. And I I am guilty of calling people the quiet storm or saying someone is a hidden gem. I, I think I am. And one of the things I'm trying to do as a leader is be really cognizant of everybody's value, right? And I think that your experience, you'd be surprised, I think super helpful for someone because we just keep telling people, be this way, be extroverted, be, but everyone shouldn't be that way. So if you're sending a note, an email after the meeting, you've been really thoughtful and about what you have to say. And I would bet that's been really valued in your organization, obviously. I mean, you, you, tend to keep getting promoted and and now in a new role. So yeah, I mean, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so when you say you have to turn it, sometimes you turn it on, you have to turn it on. What does that look like? How do you do that? I mean, I think it depends on the situation, right? And who you're talking to. In my industry, I have to talk to clients, right? I have to make presentations. And for introverts, not for everybody, but for my sort of introversion, I gather energy from sometimes being alone and working on things alone and gathering my thoughts and stuff like that, while other people who are maybe more extroverted get energy from being around a lot of people. So for me, I have to, before presentation, sort of gather myself a little bit, psych myself up a little bit. I play some songs that kind of get me going so Mm -hmm. that I can focus the energy that I do have during the hour or however long the presentation is. And then afterwards, I'm spent. But at least for Mm -hmm. that hour, (laughs) I am on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. I like that. Playing music before the presentation. No one knows what you're listening to in those headphones. <laughs> right. And that's it. Like, so getting yourself pumped up is basically yeah. how that, how that can work. Okay. But have you ever felt any pressure then to change who you are to, and I mean, full disclosure to all the listeners, I have worked with Wendy, so I know firsthand just how creative and dynamic and fantastic and I was the client. So if I can say that, then, you know, it's true. <laughs> but I wonder if I'm hearing what you're saying, you've ever felt like you had to change who you are or act in a way that you didn't feel 100% comfortable was was you and, and what did that look like? Right. Well, first of all, your listeners can't see, but I, I'm turning red right now because like I said, I can't take a compliment. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, and take it, girl. Take all the flowers, flowers for Wendy. <laughs> in terms of, you know, whether I've felt pressure to kind of change you know, something about myself. Yeah, I mean, I'm a little embarrassed to say it that, but um, I do feel like I've had to downplay aspects of myself 
to mm-hmm. fit in, right? So mm-hmm. I remember very vividly years ago where I'm in communication. So a lot of the people that I work with are very verbal and that they, so they would gather around and they would complain about like having to like use Excel sheets, right? Like it was the worst thing in the world. And I would join in and pretend like, I wasn't good at math, that I didn't understand what Excel sheets were doing. I would not like to tell people what college I went to, things like that, because I didn't want to play into the stereotype. And now you got to tell us all. Where'd you go to college? I I went to Columbia. Okay. Um, But yeah, I mean, like I hesitate to say that because I don't want to play into the... Columbia pre-med too. Right. Well, now she's really red. Yeah, now I'm really red. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But I didn't want to play into the stereotype of the, you know, like Asian who was good at math and things like that. Mm-hmm. And because I already stood out. I mean, I can't help it because I look different. Right. Right. And so I didn't want to stand out more. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I did feel a lot of that pressure, especially early on. Have you learned to find comfort in looking different and being different and doing well at work? Yeah, I feel lucky in a lot of ways to be Asian American because I have a sense of belonging in both cultures, right? Where I have traditions and values from both and I get to kind of celebrate the best of both. But at the same time, like I don't always get to choose whether or not to identify my ethnicity like people just make assumptions based on how I mm-hmm. look so I'm sure lots of people have these stories but I've had encounters where strangers come up to me and they say the two words that they know in some East Asian language that they think they're Girl, speaking and I'm supposed <laughs> to I guess be happy that they're like trying to engage with me in that way like they're trying to relate to me but yeah it's it's tough I like to think that I am able to draw from the best sides of both that is so interesting and not okay of the strangers on the street. I do not like it. I advise and, you know, against it for anyone. Right. <laughs> totally advise against it. It's interesting, though, because when I think back when we were working together many years ago, there were less. There was not very much diversity, really, when you think about agency diversity. And so I would imagine you're also at work. There's there's very few. And I'm just going to bucket us all, all us all us diverse people in one bucket and still say not enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you definitely had to be a pioneer, I think. And it can be lonely when you're the the only or when you're one of a few. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's rare to be a woman in this role because, you know, you lead creative teams, too, and much less a woman of color. Right. And so you do feel some pressure to some extra pressure to prove yourself. For me, I feel like I was sometimes pres- sometimes pressured into trying to fit a certain mold of what a creative director is supposed to be, like sort of the mm-hmm. central casting version of Mm -hmm. what a creative director is supposed to act like. For example, one of my managers once was delivering feedback and shared that the teams I work with really love working with me. The work is great. They love the ideas. But my manager wished that they would get 
a certain piece of feedback about me. They wished that they would get a call from the teams to say, wow, that Wendy, she's such a bitch, because somehow that would convey that I had swagger, the kind of swagger that a creative director is supposed to have. So I wasn't being rewarded for people liking to work with me. Instead, I was being, it was uh, something that I had to change. And that- A stereotype about creative directors, actually. Right, right. Exactly. Because I don't want that one on my, I'm going to tell you right now, don't put that one on my account. <laughs> right. It's the, if I, if I don't have that swagger, if right. I'm not a jerk to people, then I'm not as good at my job for some reason. No, you've got, you've got the, uh, you've got the quiet swag. <laughs> you got to make that. I'm going to coin that one. Quiet swag. Right. That'll be it. The quiet swag. That is really intense. And so I just feel like this is such an interesting thing to rise above, right? And to still be successful. And one of the reasons, Wendy, because you were like, you want to hear my story? I was like, yes, absolutely. And there were a couple reasons. One, because I know how hard you work and how dedicated you you are to the work. But I also have spoken with a few young ladies recently. And I'm going to try not to give away who they are, who who are very introverted, I'll say. And we have these conversations about trying to take up space in the room and trying to make sure that they are noticed in the room and that their voice is heard in the room. Even if I'm saying I'm uncomfortable, I I, I don't really have a problem doing it. To be the one always giving advice to people who it's really a struggle or it's harder or they're quieter to tell them how to do it. So I, I felt very strongly that it would be helpful to women who have not been able to do that as effortlessly to have someone on who has had to put an effort to do it, who is very successful. And that someone's you, Wendy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was going to say it's not effortless for sure. Okay, but that's a truth you have to tell. It's not effortless, but you're still doing it nonetheless. I really liked your suggestion about your notes, writing, sending a note afterwards if you didn't feel like you got to say everything that you wanted to say when you were in the room. Do you have any other tips or suggestions for women who have a quieter presence, who maybe are getting the similar feedback that they are the quiet storm or the hidden gem, right? Sure. In order to that they can use to, to be um, more seen in the space at work. Yeah, a, a few thoughts. The first is just do good work. Mm-hmm. It's slower in coming, but it will be seen. You'd be surprised at how much people, once they get to know you and get to know your work, become your advocates, right? Mm-hmm. So if possible, I would, you know, ask for assignments so that you're exposed to other teams and other people beyond your day-to-day teams, because the more people that got to know me and got to work with me, they were the ones championing for me. So I would say a lot of people are very loud, but they can't back it up, right? With, mm-hmm. with their actual work. So mm-hmm. number one, continue to do your good work, mm-hmm. right? And then, like I said before, find ways to get visibility in the ways that you're comfortable with. I shared about sending the email afterwards, but also before you walk into a meeting, even maybe Talk through your ideas with somebody one-on-one that you trust ahead of time so that you're walking in with a plan and walking in with two questions that you're going to ask or whatever. So for somebody like me, that makes it feel more comfortable because I feel like, okay, I've already got something in the can. And so Mm -hmm. that um, makes it a little bit easier. I think everybody should do that. I think the extroverts need to do that too. (laughs) And I would also suggest like 
having a talk with your manager, right? And be honest about what your quietness or what your introversion means for you and what they're going to see from you. So, you know, like you're maybe you're not the first to talk in a meeting, but maybe you're observing and you're planning what to say or you're being thoughtful. If they know that that to expect that, then they're not just thinking, oh, she has nothing to say. She has nothing Mm -hmm. to contribute. It's just that she's contributing in a different way Mm -hmm. at a different time. And I think recognizing that there's a spectrum of introverts too. That's right. Right. So some people just need time to recharge alone. Some people prefer to be alone more. And so know what you are and be honest with yourself about it. Being an introvert, um, I'm married to one. So mm-hmm. actually most of the most of my best friends are introverts. But being an introvert doesn't necessarily mean you're quiet. So yes. I think that's important. We're talking a little bit today about having more of a quiet presence. And you happen to be an introvert, but I want to be very clear. I'm very aware that it is not the same thing, that there are introverts that have no problem speaking up or being seen and they just want to recharge differently. And it's something totally different. But I do think when you have those more the quiet tendency coupled with being an introvert and then, okay, so now you've got the triple one of culturally, you're a little bit wired that way. You definitely need to think about how you're going to show up at the table strategically. Yeah. And that's a really good point about there are some um, introverts who have no problem speaking Mm -hmm. up and things like that. I have a cousin who is the loudest talker and talks the most, but she needs time to you know recharge by herself. So yeah, I definitely recognize that there are differences too. You said like you have some young women that you're working with that what can they do? I think it's important for us to address those who are in positions of power too, right? It's important for them to look for and champion talent that might not be in the expected norm and Mm -hmm. to give some extra grace maybe to people who work a little bit differently. We, over the last year plus, have talked a lot about like things like inclusion, right? And that Mm -hmm. should, I think, extend to different styles as well. That's right. I... I was in a training and the advice was that you should be asking to hear the voices of everybody in the room. Mm -hmm. If you hear that someone is, maybe they just can't get a word in, but they have a lot to say. And I think when we're in leadership positions, we need to be a little more in tune to that, to recognize that. And also to realize that it doesn't always work to go around the room and say, asking for everybody's voice doesn't necessarily mean right now. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Wendy, it's your turn. You say something now because that maybe isn't setting somebody up for their best version of success. So with that in mind, what would you recommend for people who are in leadership positions? Because now that you definitely are, and I'm sure you lead all kinds of people. Are there any things in particular that you do to make sure you're being inclusive of different work styles? Yeah, I think some of it is just recognition of different work styles, but also for me at my new agency, part of the charge for me is to try to look for talent that maybe isn't doing creative work right now, right? They're mm-hmm. in all parts of the organization. How can I help identify those people, help encourage them and get them involved, invite them to brainstorms, think about trainings that um, they could be a part of that can help get 
those skills up if that's something that they want or maybe it's something they haven't even considered and it just takes one comment like it happened to me mm-hmm. to change somebody's whole trajectory. Paying it forward. Yeah. I really appreciate what you said about being in the early part of your career and being different. But I would imagine now you're seeing more people that look like you. At least I would hope so. We still got a ways to go, I think. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. And what can we do to help people to get there sooner? Right. I think there are a lot of DEI efforts happening right now to champion and support those of us who are working in the industry right now to make sure that we're being seen and heard. And I've only been at my new agency for a matter of weeks, but I've already seen and joined in on some employee resource groups and things like that. And I have seen senior management really start to take it more seriously. You're starting to see leadership recognize that systemic racism exists and how it's impacting their employees. And so I think they're offering more support and recognition than they ever have before. There's still a long way to go, but I think we're starting to hold people accountable for making that progress. It's going to be a journey, but I think that's great that we're starting to see it. I am starting to see that too from many different companies. And I hope that this won't just be one short moment in time that we'll really be focused on it. So... Awesome. What are you joyful about in your career? What makes you happy? Can you share any of your more prideful moments at work? Prideful moments. Or things that, well, she's like, I just told you I don't brag. Okay. (laughs) No, 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 no. I I get it. Give me something. Sure. (laughs) Obviously, my job is to come up with ideas, right? So certainly it's fulfilling when you've crack the code on something and come up with an idea that you really love. And that doesn't happen super often because I'm you know, very critical of my own work. But if I'm thinking about what actually brings me the most pride, I would say enjoy enjoy. I think it's mm-hmm. working with teams and helping to mentor and develop young talent. I've had people that I've worked with years and years ago come back later and tell me they've learned a lot and they're implementing things as they run their own teams now. Mm. And so that is very fulfilling. It's great to feel like you've had that kind of impact, even if it's like, oh, I learned how to create a budget from you. It's something small, but it feels like you're making an impact. I love that. It is really meaningful when someone comes back and tells you that you really helped them grow in their career. It's a big deal. And also that they're experiencing some of the same pains that I experienced managing them. (laughs) They're experiencing it now. Oh, really? So it's like, ah, full circle. You get it now. They're like, they're like, oh, if I had only listened to you, now it's coming back and and I'm having to deal with it. Right. This has been really rich. I love it. I I really appreciate all of your notes. I think that it's really going to help some women out there who have have a similar experience as you. Well, I'm so glad you came to Phenomenal Grit today, Wendy. I think this is a really great conversation and maybe one day we'll get to work together again. That would be so cool. Yes, I would love that. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I, I hope that some people can identify with my experience. I think that they will. I absolutely do. You've been listening to Phenomenal Grit, Career Conversations for Women of Color. And I'm your host, Aliyah Kemet. 
Please subscribe to Phenomenal Grit wherever you listen to podcasts, rate, review, and follow Phenomenal Grit on Instagram. No grit, no pearl. Thank you.